Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. What a show I have for you today because I have somebody with me who is just absolutely on the move. He's a geologist, an actor, a producer, and you would just be amazed at the background that he has. He has 25 plus years working for somebody else before he decided, okay, I need to do this on my own. He he was doing all kinds of stuff that had to do with uh, consulting engineering in the New York um, New York metropolitan area, and he even did some things that has to do with volcanic ash. And I'm going to let him share that with you because I could tell you, but I think we'll be able to embrace it just a little bit better when we hear it from him. He's traveled in many places regarding what he did in the past, but he's also traveling due to what he's doing now with his acting career. And it's pretty interesting because when he started out, he started out with Fox TV series Gotham. And I'll let him tell you a little bit about the gig with that, but that resulted in a number of other things, which, as he says, landed him positions in all kinds of just about every um, film that was starting to go on in the New York area during the time that he was doing that. From there, he went on and did a number of other things, but he's currently with a company that is really doing some absolutely incredible things. And new media comedy is something that is very unique in what they're doing. In fact, I know him from a series that he's doing where he's known as Officer Bob. It's something that he does in a lot of his films and the roles that he plays has to do with police work. And while that's right up my alley, as most of you know, being a retired officer, I definitely wanted to get him on the show so we could talk about all of the things that he's doing. And I really want to let him share the majority of the things that he's doing with you because the passion that he has with what he does is absolutely incredible. So without any further ado, welcome to the show, Robert Cunup. Hi, thanks for having me, Rebecca. I am absolutely delighted. You are so welcome and thank you for being here. I, I am just captivated by all of the things that you're doing, the roles that you're playing, your face is well known because you have been in so many different films and roles, whether it's been in background, when you moved to principal roles, and some of the things you're doing with IGTV, but going from geologist to film, some people might go, wow, this is quite a disparity. But let me have you share with the audience a little bit about how you ended up getting kind of sidetracked from your regular career. Well, I, I went to college and graduate school for geology degrees. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I, I went to Colgate University as an undergrad and I went to Michigan State University for a master's degree. And when I was at Michigan State, I, was, I went there thinking I was gonna wind up in the oil business. I went there thinking I was gonna be an oil man in Texas eventually. <laughs> and it was during my first year there that the 
the price of oil plummeted to like it's like all time low while I was in graduate school, and um, that was not good. I did I did actually get an internship. I interned with Mobile Oil in Houston for a summer, and I loved the work, and they actually loved me. And I think if they hired anybody, they had like ten interns. I think if they'd hired anybody back, they would have hired me back. But they hired no one, which was actually unheard of, but it, they, it all is connected to the price of oil. And oil is a very cyclical, cyclical game for employment. You know, if the price of oil goes low, that means there's a glut on the market and people lose their jobs in that industry. I knew that when I was studying geology and my timing just happened to be horrible. Um, but I always knew that I could move back to New Jersey where I'm from because the environmental business uh -huh. cleaning up other people's contamination uh, was very big. And New Jersey was probably in the forefront, of, of, uh, way ahead of all other states in terms of environmental remediation. And, and well, in part, that's because it was the earliest industrialized state and they had so many old problems left over from okay. even dating back to the industrial revolution so that's what i did i moved back to new jersey i worked for a series of companies i did environmental work but i also did geotechnical work i did a lot of drilling and data collection for engineers to design structures and bridges late in my career i wound up being heavily involved with um, the new york city infrastructure mostly with with the water supply new york city has a great possibly the best in the world but also very complicated water supply system for drinking water for their residents in the five boroughs they basically collect water in upstate reservoirs and then there's a series of underground tunnels some of them are very shallow and they're called aqueducts they're just buried below the surface some of them are hundreds of feet deep and they convey the reservoir water to New York City. And then there's a distribution system underneath New York City. And uh, it's very complicated. A lot of it's very, very deep. And some of the tunnels are over 100 years old. And they're making new ones so that they can, like if one of those old tunnels collapses, they, uh -huh. don't, they didn't have a backup. They had no backup. They would have had to evacuate the city. There'd be no water supply for the city. So they're, they're making a redundant water supply with new tunnels. And uh, that way, eventually, once that's complete and in, completely in service, they will then be able to take the old, the old system offline, sort of renovate the tunnels, and then they'll, they'll have a fully redundant water system. But I was very heavily involved in that the last you know 10 years of my career. So I've been all over New York City as well as upstate by the reservoirs dealing with, with that. Uh, but I got, I was not pleased with the company that I was working for okay. about four or so years ago. I love the work. I, I still love geology, um, but I was not pleased with the management at the company and I quit and started doing stuff for myself. But when you're a consultant working on your own, I don't, I don't do field work anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I'm at the experience level now where I, I review other people's reports and I can do that in my underwear, in my basement, you know? Yeah. Yes. And, and it's not, it's not the same kind of work. Uh, so I never, you know, I get out of the house. I don't get out in the field. I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a 
lifelong scouter and I love being outside. And um, so I decided to try acting since I had now complete control of my own schedule. Um, I, I, it, and people say, have you always wanted to be an actor? And I mean, <laughs> I guess, I guess the answer is yes, but it, it's not like that. I mean, I, I, I never, I didn't do any high school musicals in, in high school or anything like that. Basically, I've always been a ham. Okay. I mean, I've, I've always been the one to get up in front of people. People used to, in high school, they used to ask me to make the morning meeting announcements for them because they're, they were petrified to go up in front of the whole school and say something. And that's, it's never been a problem for me. Mm -hmm. I actually pretty, like that. So pretty much a natural with this. I I mean I guess if mm -hmm. it certainly helps, you know. I know <laughs> I know other people that act that get very nervous, but I I don't. I, I it's fun to me. It doesn't mm -hmm. make me nervous. When you when you can embrace something that you enjoy doing, I think that really makes a huge difference. Before we shift gears too much more in what you have done as far as in film, I want to ask you a little bit, and maybe you can share with the audience, about the volcanic ash that you were in and some of the little trips like to the Swiss Alps that you have taken in reference to your position um, as a geologist. Uh, the, the, the active volcano that, that was actually not for work. That was when I was still in school. I was lucky enough to go on a, a geology study group to Hawaii when I was in college and it was my sophomore year. And I think when the trip was still in its planning stage, uh, that'll date it for you. If you bother to look it up, <laughs> Kilauea, which had been active for a while, started to erupt. And we were like, Oh my God, we're going there. And it's erupting and isn't that great. So we got there and um, it was very closed off. The police, the state troopers, they all, they wouldn't let you get anywhere near the active volcano because it was active. It was, there were fountains of lava shooting up in the air like three, 400 feet. There was, what we did manage to do was we got a, um, we got in a, uh, a, a private plane, like a six seat plane that ran charters. And okay. it was luck of the draw because everybody and their brother wanted to go fly up and go see the eruption from the air. It was kind of the only way you could see it live because they wouldn't let you get close enough on the ground to see it. So we were in a plane and watching the lava, you know, fountain. And um, it was, of course, when it starts to cool, you know, little pieces fly off. It creates a volcanic ash cloud. And we, we flew through the volcanic ash cloud. But um, there was another, just like two days later, we were staying at a, a, a dormitory-style building in the National Park on the Big Island of Hawaii. We were just a short drive from Kilauea. And we had off that afternoon. This was after we had taken the flight. And um, we were... Uh, we went to the beach. We went to an, an unnamed beach, some kind of not great, you know, black sand beach, very rocky, <laughs> very, very heavy bay back. And, but we were the only ones there and we had four hours off. So we went there, about a dozen of us, we drove there. We hung out on the beach and um, 
Now it's time to go home. We got to go home. We got to cook ourselves dinner. We got our professor. We left him back at the, at the house. So we get in the cars and it's getting what I thought was overcast was actually an ash cloud. Um, we drive down the highway back to the park and there's police cars. There's a roadblock, but they're facing the other way. So that we drive up behind them and they turn around and they look at us and they're like, what the hell are you guys doing back there? It yeah. turns out that, that they had closed the road while we were on the beach. They didn't know we were there because there was a lava flow that was, by the time we left, there was a lava flow that was just a few minutes away from reaching the ocean, an overland lava flow and hitting the water and closing the road like permanently until they dug a hole through the lava after it had cooled. And they were like, we didn't know you guys were down there. We haven't been letting anybody drive on this road for the last two hours because there's a lava flow that's about to overtake the road. So they, they let us leave. And later that night on the news, we saw that the lava flow had reached the beach that we were on. It had crossed over the beach and hit the water and started creating a, a different shoreline. So we were the last dozen people ever to visit that beach in Hawaii before it it disappeared forever and got overrun by a lava flow. Well, that was pretty neat. What a story. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, that is really neat. I, I mean, to have that experience is you know, kind of like winning the lottery. Not, not many people get an opportunity to experience that, especially if they're, you know, from um, the, the main states and not from the Hawaiian Islands. But this is pretty incredible. One of the things that I was thinking, probably some of the members of the audience may be thinking too, is when you went up in that plane, could you feel the heat? No, it, we, we didn't, the pilot didn't get that close. Okay. I mean, we, we were, even though there's, you know, maybe if there's a hundred foot jet of lava, we're a couple thousand feet away. Mm-hmm. So he's, he, I mean, that all, that's all the pilot did all day long was take people up, climb around for an hour, land, refuel, and then go back up. So he knew how safe he could be, and he was not going anywhere near uh, to put the craft in danger. Hawaiian volcanoes are actually very predictable. They don't explode. Uh, I okay. mean, you know, it's not like, let's say, like Mount Vesuvius or Stromboli, <laughs> where you can have a much more violent, unexpected and rapid uh, eruption of uh, volcanoes in Hawaii tend to be very slow and predictable and the lava flows are, okay. are slow. Like if we had, if we, if we, if it were on the beach and we saw the lava, we could outrun it. What was really okay. frightening is if it crossed the road, you know, we might, we might've had to abandon the cars Okay. Swim out to sea, but it didn't come to that because it hadn't reached the road by the time we drove away. But that was a possibility, I suppose. We would have probably gotten in a lot of trouble for losing two or three rented cars while we were on a holiday <laughs> trip. Oh, that's pretty neat. And what about your trip to the Swiss Alps? Uh, that what that was a another. Uh, a European study group, and um, it was more of a ski trip than anything else. But from a geologist's perspective, it was fascinating because we went to Engelberg, Switzerland, and I was skiing on a glacier for part of it. I mean, there were al alpine glaciers there. Um, the mountain 
was three times higher than typical American ski resorts. It's, it, that, that mountain is like stacking three Vail, Colorados, where I've also skied. It was like stacking three of them on top of each other. It's just, it's just a completely different experience uh-huh. than uh, the United States. Some of we, you know, some of, when I was deal- dealing with the water tunnels in, um, under New York, they do a lot of tunneling over there because it's very, very mountainous. Like the, the, Swiss, the Swiss roads, the Swiss highways go in and out of tunnels all the time. You can take a three mile drive and you'll be underground for a mile of it because, uh, because of the oh. way they make the roads. They, they, they'll just tunnel through an inconvenient uh, mountain spur and uh, they really know a lot about tunneling there. So we, we, you know, I had to look at some of that uh, perspective. There's all different kinds of technology for drilling tunnels. The ones under New York, we use a, a tunnel, a hard rock tunnel boring machine because it's in, it's, it's in bedrock. You can do tunnels through soft ground as well, through dirt. But um, New York, uh, the bedrock's shallow enough and it puts you below all the other utilities. So that's not a problem if you go down into the rock. So we do hard rock boring in New York and pretty much everything Switzerland is hard rock boring. Well, this is pretty fascinating. I had no idea that there was basically water aqueducts under New York city. And I, I mean, I, I had taken ecology and in college and went to a water treatment facility. And I thought, boy, did I, I have, quite a learning experience there, but uh, obviously there's so much more to this and it's, it's very fascinating. The things that we take for granted all the time and what goes into that and, and you know, all of this and you've done all it, all of this. And yet here you have now uh, gone into another role in life. But I think that with all of this experience, you can take this and um, apply this in many different facets to what you're currently doing. I like to think I can. Yeah. Um, I, you know, life experience is is life experience. It's, it's all good. No matter, no matter what you get or where you get Mm -hmm. it, I suppose. Um, But yeah, I mean, I mean, now, so now I'm with new media comedy. I'm, I'm a producer. I'm a partner. I'm producing stuff. And, it's project management really it's just project management and and i that's what i was i was a project manager as a consultant i i dealt with budgets that you know were a million dollars or more worth of drilling or excavation or construction uh and you track it you know you have spreadsheets you have daily reports you have subcontractors that you have to deal with in geology it's it's drillers or it's laboratory expenses <laughs> or it's analytical and producing it's location fees, it's salaries, it's camera equipment rental. It's, um, it's very applicable knowledge. It's really just project management. It's organization and project management. I'm thinking too, though, that, gosh, I mean, there, there's some kind of movie in the making with those tunnels, even a horror movie. I don't know, something. Well, the tunnels were featured in the second Die Hard movie. With, I did uh, not. The one, the one with Bruce Willis and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I think it was the second one. And um, 
the bad guys are getting away underground and somehow <laughs> they get into one of the water tunnels which is under construction back then and it was legitimately under construction back then and they they escaped through the tunnels with a truck full of gold or whatever it is they were stealing in that movie so there are scenes in that movie that where they use that uh they were le legit on location in one of the tunnels i don't know exactly where but it was one of the new york tunnels that might be the only movie that made it because once they're in service they're flooded with water and nobody's using them anymore Oh, this is pretty amazing. So when you, you quit your job and you went off into acting, how did you end up getting your role on Gotham? Uh, that's a whole story uh, that I'll try <laughs> not to make very long. But I, I, I said, you know, I could, I could try my hand. I, I got an ad or something. I, maybe on Facebook I clicked on an ad, and it was for a company that I will not name because it's, it's a garbage scam company. It's not a real casting company. Ouch. But I joined, and, and, I, and they send me all these breakdowns, which is what a real casting company does. They send out breakdowns. But these guys were merely, I think they were copying the real breakdowns and sending them out. The thing is, no casting director ever looked at their site which is why oh. I don't want to mention it. But I, find, I see all these things, and finally I, I've been replying, replying, and putting in, and I see one for Gotham, and I'm like, well, I know, I mean, okay. So I Googled Gotham Casting New York, and I got taken to a legit casting agency site. That one happened to be Grant Wilfley, New York City, which is a legit casting agency. And I went to their website, and the, sure enough, they had an ad up there for, hey, we're casting for prisoners on Gotham. Send uh -huh. us, you know, a picture and send us your measurements and, you know, how, let us know how tall you are and stuff like that. And I sent them an email and they wrote me back and they said, we want you. Show up, you know, at this place on, you know, tomorrow at 7 a.m. Wear blue jeans and a white T-shirt. And then they'll give you the rest of the prisoner stuff there. And that was, that was my first gig. And that, that's when I realized that the company I had been dealing with, it was a bogus company. And, and it was every time I went on set after that, I learned more. There is no, there really is, was no website to teach you how to do this. I didn't really have a mentor. Everybody was kind of keeping their own tricks of the trade, so to speak, yes. like really close to the vest. I'm not really like that, but a lot of people are like, oh, yes, I'm going yes. to tell you how to get more work because if you get it, I won't get it. Yes. And what people don't understand is the more we all help each other, we all grow together. And it's, it's pretty interesting, but yes. I now have a, I put together a four page, four sides. A cheat sheet of how to get started in acting. It's mostly for background because that's the easiest way to get started. And uh, I figure if I had that information at my fingertips, it probably would have cut a good six months off my learning curve. But uh -huh. I, I started really slow because I didn't know where to find the work. I didn't know how to find the work. And and occasionally I'd meet a person that was like, "Oh, well, you should go to this place. Go to check out." this website or that website nine out of ten people they were like I don't want to tell yeah. you how to get work because I don't want you stealing my work but every once in a while you meet somebody that's nice and they they give you a tip very true I grew up in the Los Angeles area and I did some extra work uh, this will kind of date myself I was in a couple of 
um, extra parts in Moonlighting with Bruce Willis. Moonlighting. Record. Great series. Yeah. Yes, and then also in The Running Man. So oh. Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. You're right, right. And back then they didn't have websites. I mean, you actually had to get a legitimate agent and finding a legitimate agent was pretty difficult to do. And so, mm-hmm. um, but I, this is really fantastic because that, that initiative that you took and all of the learning that you took really got you a lot of, a, a lot of roles, background work, and then principal work um, in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, I've been doing it about three years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still do background, um, mostly for networking purposes. For mm-hmm. instance, I'm I, the, one of the projects I'm involved now with New Media Comedy. I need I need some extras. I need a dozen extras for the stuff we are filming uh, on next Friday. Uh, they're just they're just people, customers in a bar is is what we need. Uh, we already have the principal roles cast, so. You know, I'll turn to people that I've either met that I know like to do extra or background work. Uh, might even get some of my own family or, you know, people local. We're filming in New Jersey. A lot of the people I know are New Yorkers and they do not have cars. So uh-huh. to get them to self-report to New Jersey can sometimes be a little bit of a hassle. So if I can find local people that can just drive to where we are in Jersey, that's good. But Whoever can make it, you know, uh, they're, they're under immediate consideration. But um, I've learned a lot about filmmaking by doing background. I've learned uh, a lot about the industry by doing it because I keep my eyes open. I, ju- I don't just stick my nose in a book and, and ignore what's going on around me when I'm in holding. You know, I talk to people all the time. And, and it's a great way to network so that you can wind up collaborating with these people on another project or one of their projects. I mean, I can't tell you, I've done, I've done, I've done many independent movies uh, for a, a handful of people because I've met them either through a call or I know somebody uh, that I met through doing background and they said, oh, you should give this guy a call or whatever. This is pretty neat. And so now your company is doing some very unique things. You have a really nice palette of genres for just about anyone that's that likes to watch movies. You do comedy, slapstick comedy, which is something new. We do, we have not had that kind of comedy for many, many years. You guys are doing that now. You're Hitting social media with Instagram TV. I love it. You've got your uh, officer, Bob. You've got another one that you do. And um, in addition to that, you have some a horror film on the rise. Is that Jessica Jones? Uh, that- well, that's the, I, I, was, I was an extra on Jessica Jones, the third season uh, on Netflix for, I was on, an, I don't know, at least a half dozen times, but I posted it on Instagram because I'm, I'm literally in the last shot of the series. I love I it. I cross in front of the hero, Jessica Jones, and then without a cut, the camera pulls back and then it cuts to credits. And I'm a, I'm a huge superhero fan. I love that genre. And I was thrilled to have worked on the last two seasons of that show uh, as an extra. 
but it's really special to me that I got to be in the very last shot. And then, and now it's canceled. I mean, it's still on Netflix, but they're not making any more of that show of, oh. of any of the Marvel Netflix, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, okay. Iron Fist, Punisher, they're done. Um, personally, I think they're going to move them uh, or, or those characters. They may not reboot them, whatever they're going to do. Disney, Disney slash Marvel is about to start their own streaming service. So they don't want to compete with their own, their own intellectual property on Netflix. That's what okay. I think's going on. You could, you could read all the websites and news trade journals that you want and you'll, you'll get different answers, but I think that's what's going on. They didn't want to compete with their own intellectual property. That's partly owned by Netflix. So mm-hmm. they pulled the plug on the series, what I think. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And your following on social media is, I mean, this is just growing and growing and growing. But speaking of comics, you have other things on the horizon to add to the array of things that you're doing as well. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I think it was a little over a year ago when New Media Comedy, they they started to approach Instagram in particular like it was a TV channel. So they did programming of comedy skits like it was a TV channel. So like I did an Officer Bob character where I'm NYPD and, you know, do, do stupid or funny things. But that comes out on Thursdays. There's another guy, Mike, Mike Langan, who has very long hair and he puts it up in a man bun. And he did a series called Man Bun Mondays. And that came out on Monday. So every day of the week for seven days, including weekends, a different sketch would come out every day so in that sense it's kind of like primetime tv Mm -hmm. and one of the one of the sketches and it's a comedy duo and and an n and m which are their initials they uh do a skit and i i don't know how many months it's maybe six months they've been doing it where they get a million views for every video like they they load it up on um friday at at midnight you know thir- friday morning or thursday at midnight whenever it comes out and within 24 hours they get a million views uh-huh every week so it was that kind of popularity on instagram that attracted the attention of well it's attracted a lot of attention it's, uh, it's attracted i mean like showtime and trauma films and and uh uh other companies that I'm not even, th- I'm saving the big one for the last, uh, DC Comics, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, they own the DC Universe streaming platform online. They launched it, I'm not sure when, they, they launched it a few months ago, um, and they have, they can replay on their own, you know, it's like Netflix or it's like Hulu. It's an online streaming service and they play just their own properties. So they can replay any movie that you've seen, all the Superman movies, all the Batman movies, all their, their cartoons. DC in particular, I think does animation very well. They have Batman series, you know, they have, a, they have the Justice League series and you could probably catch all of that on DC Universe. And then they also want to put out original programming that no one's ever seen before. Well, when they launched it, they only had so many hours of original programming and probably most of it is, is a, uh, a series called Doom Patrol, 
which is a live action series that's on DC Universe. So they, they, came, they turned to us, they called New Media Comedy, and they said, we need live action, we need live action series for DC Universe. It just 10 ideas. And, and Jim Mendrinos, who's probably got the longest resume here in, in show business uh, at New Media Comedy, he pitched them 10 ideas and they, they really liked three of them. And they said, make those three into pilots for us and, and we'll see if one of them gets picked up. So that's what we're doing right, right now. We've already started filming the, the first one that's going to be filmed, which is a horror anthology series with, uh, at least in some of the segments, which will have some probably dark comedy injected into it. Think of it, think, you, maybe you can think of it as like a Twilight Zone with some, some jokes in it, maybe. That's, okay. That might be a good way to think about it. Okay. And, um, and that's the first one we're filming, but the other two, one, the other one's a sketch comedy show, kind of like in the vein of Saturday Night Live, but it's based on superheroes. And uh, the other one is, is a project called Big Top, which is more of an action thriller, which takes place in a circus, hence the name Big Top. And that's, that's being written, that's being actively written uh, with, with DC's input into the script. Okay. Uh, the sketch comedy show is written. We'll, once, once Ominous Laughter is filmed, the pilot, we'll, we'll give it to DC and then we'll immediately start filming the sketch comedy show. Mm -hmm. And then once that's done, we'll give it to DC, and then we'll start filming Big Top. And hopefully by then they will have decided if they want to make, have us make a series out of Ominous Laughter. I really love it. And in addition to all of this, you also, your company has a number of services that are offered to the community. We, well, we're, we're a production studio, but not just for ourselves. So if somebody wants to film their own project, we have other people that come in, and not oddly, I suppose, that, that do their own comedy sketches. Uh, we have other people, we, we sometimes send a crew to, somebody wants to do a commercial for, you know, their real estate agent and they want some footage they can run on their cable access channel or something or wherever they can get time to run a commercial. We, these days, we could do a lot of internet work. We do a lot of commercials yeah. that run, that people run on the internet, on their own Instagram or on their own Facebook or on their own YouTube page. So yeah, people can hire us to do that too, or mm -hmm. they can hire just the space, you know? We, right, what's behind me is a green screen. I'm sitting in our podcast room. We, uh, we ran out the podcast room for people that want to do their own uh, podcast. We have the technology to, to distribute it live and certainly to record it so that it can be rerun. We have about five, I think we have five or six mics and camera setups in the podcast room with a green screen. So if you want to take the time and you have the knowledge, I don't have the knowledge to make a beautiful, you know, whatever behind me, a, a beautiful sunset using the green screen technology and editing software we can do that. Mm -hmm. And also, didn't Jim have a class on uh, writing, creative writing or copyright writing? Yes. Jim, Jim does a, a, a several classes. I'm not sure of even all of them. He definitely teaches a, a comedy writing class 
Uh, in fact, some of the other people here are graduates of it. Um, but he, you know, he wrote, well, I don't want to get the name of the book wrong. I think it's the idiot's guide to comedy. Uh-huh. I hope I didn't get, you know, a couple different competing books out there, but he wrote a book about that. You could buy at the bookstore and, and that's, you know, acts as a, the syllabus for a couple of the courses that he teaches. He'll te he does teach a lot in New York. Um, we're trying to get a class out here for people in New Jersey, um, but he teaches a lot in, in New York City uh, on, at night on these com different, different kinds of comedy courses, comedy writing mostly. You guys are really on the move. You're well-rounded. You have a lot going on that is really going to uh, kind of be a vein, an aqueduct, like what you have going on in New York City, and one of them is going to definitely explode in a very positive way for you. And I think that all of this allows the audience that we have today to be able to connect with you and give them some inspiration. You are definitely someone that has proven that you can go from a, a regular job into something else and be very, very successful at that. And you're also offering a lot of different things, of, of avenues of entertainment that can really uh, be beneficial to the audience. So I would really like for you to share with the audience how they can get in contact with you and where you want them to go so that they can follow and stay on top of everything that you guys have going. Okay, well, I, I think I consider our Instagram uh, channel, page, whatever, to be probably our flagship. So that would be the, it's at New Media Comedy on Instagram. So that's like, if you want to go see the videos that come out on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, they get released there. And these days now, now Instagram TV, we're experiencing a big uptick in IGTV. Uh, because you can do longer format. Before IGTV became available, you were stuck to a minute or less uh, for videos on Instagram. But now IGTV, we can, I forget how high we can go. It depends on how many followers you have, but I think we can do either 15 minute videos or half hour videos on IGTV based on the number of followers we have. Um, we, the only time we've ever gone that high is we did a live, uh, we did a live Oscar parody show when the Oscars were just a few uh, in January uh, maybe it was February whenever the Oscars were we did we did we did some pre-film stuff which we showed a half hour before the Oscars began and then we did live streaming commentary during uh, during the Oscars on IGTV and Facebook live and things like that during commercial breaks so th that's an interesting way to use it I hope we do more stuff like that in the future we all, we, we have a, we're new media comedy TV on YouTube is a YouTube channel. That's where we used to put all our longer format stuff. Like I did a thing called October movie fest countdown, which is a horror, horror movie review comedy sketches. And we'd make a short version for Instagram, which is just a minute long. And then we'd have a three and a half minute, unabridged version which we would throw up on youtube so that's all there we do have a website um i think you can get to it either by newmediacomedyworldwide.com but i think i think newmediacomedy.com also gets you basically to the same page okay um 
we are talking one of the, the group that does podcasts from here on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, the eight bit grows. They, they do a live radio show in the podcast room. They're very tech savvy guys. So they're helping us a lot with improving our web design and our web presence. Uh, so hopefully we'll have some improvements there on our, on our very own website. Um, in addition to, you know, being able to live stream stuff on Facebook live or IGTV. Well, I absolutely love it. And I want to thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Robert Kniff with two N's and two F's, but my, my Virtually most all my stuff that I do for New Media Comedy gets put up on New Media Comedy first, and then I'll I'll republish it on my my own page. Perfect, perfect. Thank you. And thank you. Oh, I'm so excited because you are just on my radar. Everything that your company is doing, and I want to thank all of you for watching as well, and put it on your radar because. There is so many things that New Media Comedy is offering that is sure to be able to touch you or someone you know in some way. So we ask that you not only share our show, Rebecca Sounds Reveille, but everything that New Media Comedy's got going on. Share it with your friends, your relatives, your colleagues, the people that you know on social media, and all of those that you don't. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Rebecca.